I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and this is the first ever episode of Research Hole. Um, so I am a little nervous, but mostly psyched. <laughs> this is a long time in the making. I I've wanted to do a podcast for a while, and I've known that it it needed to be a place where I put extra things that I find when I'm working, but I have no place to put them. But there have been many delays, like self-doubt, uh, learning how to use a platform <laughs> for podcasting. Um, also, like the pandemic sort of made me pause. But anyway, we're, we're here. We're a year into the pandemic. It's, um, I should give the date. It is April 1st, 2021 when we're recording. And our guest today is Rebecca Jay. Rebecca Jay is a Brooklyn-based dancer, performer, writer, and dreamer. Currently an original cast member of the big stunt show at Legoland New York, Rebecca is living her dream of working full-time as a performer while pursuing her own creative projects as a singer-songwriter and as a writer. Rebecca is a two-time finalist for the Poetry Matters Award 2018 and 2019, and enjoys writing songs, poetry, children's books, fiction, and musicals. Rebecca is a huge advocate for coffee and self-reflection. She loves hiking, especially with dogs, paddleboarding, especially with dogs, and kayaking, especially with dogs. <laughs> um, and I'm super excited that Rebecca is our first guest because we have been friends for, I think, over 10 years now. And we became very close friends starting in 2012. So it's been a long time. And I don't know, it was really cool to read the bio she submitted because I have known Rebecca at a time when she taught gymnastics full time at an elite level to elite gymnast child children. <laughs> and, um, you know, she would say things to me like, how she really wanted to learn guitar or practice guitar or how she was really interested in singing um, but she never could get the time because it was one of those more than full-time take over your life kind of jobs and in the past few years I've gotten to witness her really change and uh, quit her job and move to New York and sort of delve into her feelings a lot and delve into art and like all the things she wanted to do early in her life and I don't know you don't always I think it's a privilege to get to witness a change on that level happening to someone you love so anyway Rebecca welcome thank you and I am so touched by that and so honored to be your first guest on this podcast uh, I'm glad you were in touch I miss you yeah, I miss you too. It's It's been um, a weird year. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Um, yeah, for sure. And you're back in New York newly, right? You've been back yeah. for like a couple days. Just a couple of days. I, I took a break for a while for a, a number of reasons and I just got back so I can start uh, rehearsals for Legoland and yeah, it's it's been really, really good to just be here and be back and to start settling in and just put my things down and uh, just be back in the neighborhood. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. 
Yeah, I bet. I, <laughs> what, what is your research hole going to be today? So it is sailing. Um, I am working on writing a musical called Sailing. And I guess I'll just tell you a little bit about the musical first and then talk more about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it would be good to know like a little bit about what the project is. Where are you in the project? So I I took a little bit of a break from it. I was really working on it for a couple of years um, in like 2018, 2019. And I, I put it aside for a little bit, which I think sometimes just needs to happen. You kind of need to gain the perspective that you're missing at that time. Um, and even just taking a break for a little bit and then looking back at, at the story and just kind of understanding it in a, a different way is really important. So I've been, I've been getting back into it in the last couple of months, I would say, and I'm really working on getting the, the book, the kind of structure of the story set. And uh, I kind of have a lot of the songs that are the melody and lyrics are written and it's really just about getting the actual music to go with it um, but I'm really focusing right now on on the book and just really getting that story kind of set what do you mean by the book so the the actual text of the musical okay so is the book the lines between when people sing yes exactly gotcha so you have songs do you mean you have lyrics or you have like lyrics and music so I have lyrics and melodies. That's kind of how, I know that you mentioned that I write other songs as well, and that's kind of how I do all of my songwriting. It's, I kind of will just get lyrics and a melody kind of into my mind, and then I, I just kind of go and explore it. So when I, when I was working on the songs for this musical, it was kind of 2018, 2019, and I hadn't even started to play piano at that point. So it was purely just lyrics and melodies, but I really worked them into just having like full recordings of each song and full lyrics of each song. And in the past couple of months, I've just started to work on them on piano too. So that's, that's a, that feels a little bit more like the next step for me uh, once I really get the whole, um, the whole book just set. So that's, that's kind of where my focus is right now. Um, but it was a really interesting introduction that you gave about me because it kind of touched on a bit of what this musical is about. Um, so it is a story about holding on to trauma that hasn't been dealt with and how that plays out in a family. And then what happens when one of those family members starts to actually face what they've been through and how it affects all of them and where it leads. Oof, heavy stuff. <laughs> but I mean in the beginning stuff. in the beginning yeah yeah did the idea for the musical come first or did a song come first like how did it come to you so that's a really good question I I think I'd actually realized something about kind of myself and my own story that led me to start writing this and as you know I dealt with trauma as a child that I didn't actually face so it's very much in line with my personal story and you mean um, you didn't face it at the time right right I didn't face it at the time I just kind of packed it away and moved on except 
And you were like, gymnastics. Yeah, (laughs) gymnastics, anything. Let me fill my schedule in. I don't all of these things. I don't cry. (laughs) I don't like anybody that much love wise. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just gonna just gonna stuff everything away and just live and um, doesn't work. It works for a little bit, but then at some point it it doesn't. And I think, um, you know, I it's part of my trauma was that I lost my dad when I was 16. And I remember at that time, people saying to me and not just them but for years after life is always going to be hard for you it's always going to be challenging like you you'll you'll be happy again eventually but it's going to be it, it's going to be hard you're not going to be you're you're always going to deal with this it really affected me when adults are telling you that at the when adults are telling you that when you're a 16 year old kid it it has a really big effect on you and uh, i think that you know i really let that be a driving force of my life and my story that it was always going to be hard and I was always going to be kind of with this like overwhelming unhappiness from an experience that I that I had had do you mean I gotta ask do you mean it affected you like did it affect you like you just fully believed them or were you like fuck you for telling me my whole life is going to be hard. Like, did you buck against it at all? Or do you think you just internalized it? I totally internalized it. You know, maybe the first time that somebody asked, I was kind of like, what, what are you saying to me? And it's just a really, even if it's true, it's a really intense thing to say to somebody. It, it definitely is. And it was not one person. It was not a handful of people. It was almost it was so many people (laughs) for like a several year period of time that just talked about it like in this way where I just I just internalized it and I was like oh okay well I guess I'm never really going to be able to get past this in any real way so I'm just gonna do all the things and fill my life and you know I it it was like a really um yeah, I think when people had first said that to me, I was in a very grief state. Like, my dad had just passed away. So I don't think I was really in a place where I had any rebellion in me <laughs> or any, like... Yeah, you were spent. I was spent. I wasn't really... At that time, I wasn't really angry. I was just, you know, I, I think I felt, like, emotionally numb. Mm-hmm. And when people were telling me that, it just really... Um, yeah, I just... I think maybe the first time or the second time I kind of brushed it off, but then I started to believe it. And, you know, I think that that's really what inspired me to write this is because in the last number of years, I really have dealt with my trauma. And it's kind of a lot of what you said in the intro that I really just felt all of my emotions and, and worked through all of the things I'd never worked through. And it really really changed me as a person and and my perspective on life in general and I think that experience of actually facing things and seeing that you know I can be happy and I I can live a really fulfilling wonderful life that inspired me to to write this wow I have so many thoughts but I I want you to be able to talk about your whole too like, I mean, ask, ask the thoughts, because I, yeah. Okay, yeah, I should, yeah, I should lean into my, my questions, because we <laughs> yeah. have to have an organic conversation. I should, I, I'm still learning how to podcast. <laughs> totally, totally, and yeah. 
when you say it totally makes sense to me that you say I've learned that I can live a really happy and fulfilling life and I think it's so sad and and sounds so hard that you didn't think you could before yeah that that you took what people said which was this is always going to be with you life is always going to be hard for you and you took that to mean life can't also be good yeah um but you don't feel do you feel like you're on the other side like you don't feel like it's over do you you mean like specifically with the trauma that i've been through well the way you're wording it you're wording it like i dealt with the trauma right um yeah which is good um but i guess i don't know very therapized val has (laughs) has sort of has been made to internalize that like this is ongoing it's going to come up in your life again and again like it's never going to actually oh, totally. be over and i've i've had to sort of cope with that in my own life with like my own stuff and totally like you don't feel like it's over do you because also no. like i want some of that juice if you do <laughs> <laughs> well okay i think it's um i think it's that you know, before, before dealing with it, I mean, I'd, I'd packed everything away and never even touched it, but there were so many things that I didn't feel like I could do. Like, I didn't feel like I could watch videos of my dad. I didn't feel like I could, you know, I was like hardly looking at pictures. And in that, like, the way that I was kind of like remembering him was all hard and like negative, you know? Yeah. And I think what a lot of just dealing with that trauma and going through it has done for me is it's really enabled me to really appreciate and love the person who he was even more and recognize the parts of him that are within me and then also just embrace everything that I've learned from him and like carry that with me. And you know, I can, like I, like watching him I like looking at videos and photos now I like like I like that feeling of knowing that he's a part of you know who I am and um even like who I am now like all of the learning I've done in the last couple of years I feel like actually does really reflect who he was too you know and um so it's just it's taking something that was really painful and really hard like every time that I thought about it and turning it into something that I can appreciate and I can, you know, like just have a lot of love for. And that doesn't mean that it's never hard. Like there are definitely times and things that that are difficult and you, you know, you, you miss people that you've lost in your life. That's just kind of, um, how love works. Right. Yeah. But, um, it's a totally different thing and it's something where I don't feel like that trauma is holding me back. I don't feel like I'm trying to escape it. I, I think in my previous life, I I remember just filling up my calendar, like filling up every second that I possibly could of my calendar, which yeah. to me right now sounds awful, but that's what I did because I didn't really want to be alone with my thoughts. I didn't really want to um, have time to myself. Like I, I was living, I was constantly trying to escape what I was holding on to, right? Rather yeah. than 
living my life and like finding the beauty in it and also like you know there there definitely is pain sometimes with it too and like it's it's just a totally different thing now because it, it no longer it doesn't feel like it's holding me back you know it feels like it's helped me to become the person that I am and um I can just look at the experiences that I've had with love and it, it's just really freeing yeah that's so good that's so good Rebecca is are any of your characters have it in your musical having that kind of thing going on like are, are any of your characters just filling their lives the way you did actually no <laughs> actually no like it I would say that it's there were definitely a few times as I was writing it that I felt like one of the characters was aligned with me but then I'd be like actually if she's not or he's not like I think it's just the the whole experience is really just in line with me the whole and the way that I dealt with trauma and took on this story like that all is very much about me but when it comes to the yeah the actual characters there are probably ways that they they do mimic myself or members of my family but it's it's not specific what's the um i can't even think of the word the significance what's the significance of sailing in the in the musical okay so kind of twofold um on the one side sailing is um really symbolic of like a spiritual journey and one of the characters is really going through some of that facing trauma and starting to just see his life in a, a different way and starting to kind of want to move into a freer place than where he's been living kind of held down by all this trauma so that is involved and then there also is a boat there's a boat <laughs> there's a boat <laughs> Um, because the, your research hole is boats, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is boats. Um, and it's really funny because I've never actually been on a sailboat. I like boats actually make me nauseous. Same dude. Yeah, I like I've tried to, you know, embrace it, but um, I can paddleboard and I can kayak and I really like that stuff. It's better with dogs, obviously. Um, but when it comes to an actual <laughs> boat, I just, yeah, I get, I get nauseous and I've never really, I've never really been on one. <laughs> okay. So, so what is happening with the, the literal boat in your musical and then how did that make you dive into boat stuff? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just say a tiny part of it. Okay. Um, so there is at one point, one of the characters is actually building a boat and th there's more to the story too, but I feel like that's the part that I should say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, also, like, I think a lot of what we're going to talk about on this podcast is like projects in progress. So yeah. you have my permission to say as much or as little as you want about your project in progress. I, I don't know how much I'm even going to say about mine. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. That sounds good. Um, but yeah, so there is a boat and I found myself writing about a character building a boat, but I didn't know anything about boats. Right. So I obviously started looking up um, boats and, um, you know, I actually, right as I was kind of writing that part with the character, I actually had a moment where I 
just kind of lost all my confidence with the project, which, you know, I think happens often to projects in progress. And Been there, been there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I put it down and I was like, I'm just going to leave this aside and, you know, whatever, not really, I, I just, I'm not writing it right now. I'm, I'm done for right now. And then I was walking and I came across a bookstore that had free books outside and this was pre-pandemic. And of course, the first book that I see is called Sail Tall Ships. Whoa! <laughs> And I just, yeah, I just grabbed it. Like, and I was kind of mad at that point. Like I was, I was really frustrated with where I was with writing and I I had just started writing the boat part and I'd like put the thing down. I was like, I'm done for right now. I'm I'm not touching this for a while. And I kind of picked it up and I was like kind of angrily paging through it (laughs) of like, of course I have to take this free book and, um, see, see what it's about. So I kind of took it back and it, it, it was absolutely a sign, and it brought me back into it. And the book was by the American Sail Training Association, and it's... Nice. Very yeah, official. It's very official. Um, it's mostly just, like, a catalog of sailboats. <laughs> Man, like, Sail Tall Ships, that... I love that title. Right? It's a really good title. If you need... I don't know where you are in titling your songs in your musicals, <laughs> but... One of them should definitely be called Sail Tall Ships. Yeah, I should think about that. I, I haven't even I haven't even thought about that. Um, I feel like it could also be like <laughs> I don't know. It could it could be the title in a very unconventional uh slipstream short story also. Like like it's a Ooh. versatile there's something about it. It sounds good. Totally. Yeah, I'm gonna keep that in mind for sure. It, it definitely was finding that book was definitely a turning point for me just because it um it it made me realize that I needed to you know look more into sailing and boats and learn more about them because I opened it up and I started reading it and I just I had no idea what they were talking about like at all mm-hmm. <laughs> um so so yeah I kind of from there just started you know learning about some parts of boats that I needed to learn about for the musical, but um, I learned that they are so much more technologically advanced than I thought. Like, I thought sailboat, very casual, sailboat, you know, wind carries it. Yeah, it's the one that goes with the wind. It's the one that goes with the wind, but it's actually all about aerodynamics and the curvature of the sail, and it's based off of um, Bernali's principle and... Wait, most... what is Bertinelli's principle? Tell me all about that. Okay, I'm going to do my best with it. I'm, okay. I'm going to do my best with it. We are hobbyists. We are just learning. Okay, <laughs> so the principle is that, and it is within a flow, or sorry, within a horizontal flow of fluid, points of higher fluid speed will have less pressure than points of lower fluid speed. And basically, you're talking about... Um, the pressure being less, let me actually, let, before I go into the, the principle, let me talk about airplane wings because the thing that I found the most interesting is that um, sail, like sails on a sailboat are actually really, really similar to an airplane wing and they work really similarly, which I what? was literally floored by. I just, <laughs> like I really had to sit with that for a second before I was even ready to like, <laughs> look it up because you know in my mental imagery like you know I'm thinking of like ships sailing throughout history and then 
planes were so much later and how does that work? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, one of them is like, I mean, it's I know it's not a sheet, like it's not a bed sheet, but it's like a fucking sheet, <laughs> which is different from a metal wing of an airplane, right. I would think. Yeah. Right, totally. But it, it's the same principle because, okay, so I already explained Bernali's principle to the best of my ability. But basically, if you think about that on an airplane wing, so airplane wings are designed to cause the air moving over its top to move faster than the air moving along the undersurface. And that means that there's lower pressure above the wing than below it, which is why you have the generation of that lift. And a wait, sail- wait, wait, wait. I gotta just <laughs> I gotta just let that sink too. Cause I feel yeah. like I process very slowly. So you're saying <laughs> pressure below the wing is is high high pressure versus above the wing it's lower. Yes. Okay. And the high pressure is what makes the airplane lift off the ground? Or sorry, sorry, lower pressure above the wing than below it. Oh, right. So the lower pressure is below the wing. And that's what's above making the it. wing. So there's higher pressure below the wing. <laughs> okay, higher pressure. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, totally, I know. It's very confusing. <laughs> I totally was seeing it and saying the wrong thing. So yeah. the pressure is more below the wing, which makes sense because the plane is in the air, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's what generates the, the lift. Okay. So then with a sail... It's basically the same thing happening, except that, um, except that the curve in the sail creates a higher pressure on the windward side and a lower on the leeward side. So it's and that that does the same thing with the lift and the speed. And it's really about the curvature of the sail and how you are navigating. You can curve it more to create higher speed, um, but it's about getting it, you know, in line with the wind in the direction that you want to go and then, you know, using the wind and yeah, using that wind to create the pressure where it needs to go in order to propel it forwards. So which totally makes sense, but it's not something you ever think about. Right, exactly. And like, if you think about the shape of a sail and the shape of an airplane wing, it's kind it's, it's similar, you know, um, just without the curvature and the fact that it's hard versus soft, but I just, yeah, I had, no idea that there was any technology involved. <laughs> I just, you know, it just, I don't know. Sailing just seemed like a very casual thing to me. And I guess I hadn't really thought about it as a sport either, um, where there's there's even more things that they can do within the sport structure of it to manipulate for speed, which is really interesting. Um, but, and I imagine um, very interesting to you in particular because you are you you have you are an athlete yeah and I I haven't really dived in like super far to the exactness of it Mm -hmm. because honestly just the fact that a sail is similar to an airplane wing still I'm still processing (laughs) that (laughs) yeah I wonder okay digression but I wonder like as a gymnast and later gymnastics coach, like, yeah. were you thinking about the physics of it a lot? Like, like in the sense of when you move this way, this thing is happening like with, I don't know, motion, it, like on a, yeah. on a sort of granular level or not really? Like when I was coaching? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. You're, you're thinking about physics and you're thinking about manipulating basically gravity <laughs> right. and how you can generate speed. And yeah, I wasn't thinking about it so much as an athlete. I kind of just let my coaches help me with that. I, I didn't, I just listened to them and tried to yeah, you make had corrections. To you had to, you had to turn all around and around. Yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more of a mind game, but it, it makes sense that as totally. a coach, you would be like, yeah, you're much more just, you know, involved in the physics of it and, you know, what you can do to create speed. And there's a lot of, you know, when you're, when you're learning as a coach, there's definitely a lot of um, physics that are involved when you start to really like educate yourself and want to, you know, improve and be in line with the latest techniques. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that. And um, did it surprise you or did it just make sense that with sailing and boats, it's kind of the same thing? Totally surprised me. (laughs) (laughs) I, it hadn't even occurred. I mean, I just, I just thought that, you know, I knew that I knew that there were things that you did when you were on a sailboat and I knew that there were things you had to adjust and I knew that you know you had to understand what was happening with the wind and make choices based off of that but I I I did not I thought it was very simple (laughs) (laughs) or I thought it was much simpler than it actually is was there anything else cool you learned about boats that that you want to share I mean, I think I think that's that's about it. I, I still kind of find myself searching a bit about the similarities to airplane wings. Do you think and, any uh, of it's gonna make it into the musical or not really? Oh, definitely not. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> like not even not even a tiny bit. I, I think I think what I've realized is that the, the building of the boat is a little bit more of a complex endeavor than it had been. So I, I think that there will be some expansion there, <laughs> right? Um, just in that process. But uh, yeah, absolutely none of this will make it in. And I don't even think I would have really looked into it if I hadn't found uh, sail tall ships that really sail tall ships. Sail tall ships. You know, I opened it up and I started looking at the the different boats, and it would talk about how they were rigged and the specs. And I I was so confused. I just knew I had to learn more to be able to. Um, at least just have a better base to be able to write it. But yeah, all these holes definitely, definitely will not even be involved at all. <laughs> Did, um, when you emailed me, or maybe we texted, I don't know, in, in the lead up to this episode, you also mentioned sailing metaphors or boat metaphors? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that definitely is part of the spiritual journey that I touched on earlier. But there's there's a ton of other metaphors and you know, it's really, it's really interesting. Like in, uh, in ancient Egypt, the boat was the vehicle that enabled the sun's journey across the sky, which is really what? interesting. Wait, wait, wait. So the boat, the boat sort of drags the sun along with it, according to ancient Egyptians? I mean, I, I think it was just a way of seeing how the sun set, like the boat helped it to go through that. And because of that, it was a symbol of um, rebirth, which is really interesting. I love that. That's beautiful. It is really beautiful. Yeah, it'd actually be really cool to. I'm just imagining right now, like photographs of a sailboat carrying the sun. That would be really, really stellar. Yeah. I, do, do you have any other metaphors to hit me with? Yeah. So there's 
there's definitely a lot. And in Christianity, um, the central seating area of the church is called the nave, which actually comes from the Latin word for ship. And um, boats were represented as the church itself and also as a symbol of safety and um, reaching a safe haven, which is really interesting. So the nave was like where the pews are? I think so. My knowledge of churches. Yeah. (laughs) Not your area. (laughs) Yeah, like I I love going into churches. They're really beautiful, but I I couldn't tell you what the things are called. And I I hadn't heard of um, nave, but I I think it's a central seating area, um, which kind of I think would come from like the the boat kind of represented like the church itself sometimes, which I think would be that connection. Um, And then also maybe the safe haven. I would think inside of a church would be a safe haven. So I could see that connection too. Yeah, that makes so much sense that in a church you can't see the outside because Mm. all the windows are stained glass. So all you can really see is like what's around you in the church and like you're looking forward you're looking toward the um you guys i'm rusty it's been a while um (laughs) the altar (laughs) (laughs) which the altar is kind of like it's not a triangle point but it does like curve inward so interesting it makes sense that it feels like a boat to me yeah um especially since you can't see the outside so like the whole world is the church like you could be sailing through like you could emerge outside of the church and be in a whole new place and that that would feel significant and i remember like leaving church after mass and the brightness of the day feeling really really bright you know because yeah as a kid i went to church regularly as a kid and um yeah and that's because it's so fucking dark in there right (laughs) (laughs) And, so and it like makes sense to me like imaginatively that you you could like go into a church and leave and the church has has brought you just to a totally new place yeah okay wait i it never really occurred to me i know that churches have beautiful stained glass windows is that a standardized thing do all churches there's there's no way to see outside that's a great question and I do not know the answer. <laughs> but I will say like um what I'm thinking about mainly I grew up Roman Catholic and what I'm thinking about mainly is like the Catholic Church. I have right. been in other churches though and they're a little bit plainer. Like Catholics love a stained glass window. <laughs> um but but I I don't recall I think it's similar in that there aren't if there are regular paned windows, they're not big. Like the yeah. whole point is to keep you away from the world, like to keep you in it. Interesting. What about synagogues? So, okay, I don't, I don't know if it's a standard thing or a rule, but most synagogues that I've been in at least do have the stained glass. Um, and I, I remember, so I, I've been to a couple of services at the Javits Center because they host um, high holiday services. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in those services and looking out over the water and the river and just thinking like, wow, 
this is so beautiful. It's so cool to get to be at synagogue and watch the water. Um, God, I only associate the Javits Center with total misery. <laughs> Where in um, the Javits Center were you? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the I guess like when you go up the escalators, there's a giant space. Yeah. And there's um, there's a synagogue that hosts services there every, it's the LGBTQ synagogue, and they host services there every Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and um, they're open to anybody and everybody who wants to come, so obviously not last year and not this upcoming year, but um, I, I had been going there before that, and because they're renting the Javits Center, you know, they have a giant space and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that come. Um, it's not actually a synagogue space, so it's just a giant convention center space. And um, there, the part of it that was the closest to the bima uh, was right by the water. So I would, I would always try to get a seat kind of around there in the back and be just as close to the water as I could be. And I think because I remember that being so striking, probably there are not windows in synagogues either. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm now remembering like going to the shore, like the Jersey Shore, and seeing church outside happen sometimes. Oh, yeah. There's there's synagogue outside there too. Huh. So maybe yeah, it's not is... a rule, but if if any listeners are like architects or know about the architecture of religious worship places, you should write in resourcewholepodcast yes. at gmail dot com. I, I registered that email address like 10 minutes before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now it's time for something I learned this week. Are you ready? Are you ready, Rebecca? Totally. Let's hear it. Um, so I'm going to open up a doc. Um, something I learned this week. So I envision this portion being where people can write in about their little research holes. So something they Mm. learned while, you know, either researching whatever art project they're doing or maybe just a random thing that came up that they were like, huh, about. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea is to keep it short. But because we have no listeners yet, uh, Yet. because this is the first podcast, um, all of the something I learned this week's for season one of this show are brought to you by my dad. Excellent. Um, so let me open up this doc my dad made for me. Wonderful. Okay. So the definition of a word is what we're getting today. Have you ever heard of the word polygot? I... Wait, I'm like, did he spell this right? I'm Googling this to make sure he spelled <laughs> it right. Polygot. Polyglot. That's what I fucking thought. Okay, my dad is wrong. (laughs) All right, so we're going to start this again. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) Do you know what a polyglot is, Rebecca? (laughs) No. No, no, I cannot say that I do. Okay. I didn't know either. Um, I would have guessed, I think I would have guessed that it would have something to do with many... Um, I, these days when my mind goes to poly, it goes to polygamy, polyamory. Polyamory, yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Um, so many, um, but I don't know glot. 
Yeah. Um, apparently, polyglots are people who speak five or more languages fluently. Interesting. Do you uh, know any polyglots? Five or more languages. Damn. Actually, the polyglot that I knew was my dad. How interesting no is that? No kidding. Yeah. He sp- let me see if I can get the language. He spoke English, Hebrew, Yiddish. I think it was French, Spanish. I think there were two more. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was he was really just very talented with languages and it was yeah, that that, that is a talent that I would not say is my forte. So it was did he just, just pick up new languages really quickly, or did he learn a lot of them early on? He, so he grew up in a home that he had Jewish heritage, but he didn't have any Judaism in his household, and he just sought it out and really wanted it to be a part of his life. So he taught himself Yiddish when he was a kid, and that was his first language, and he would go get the Yiddish newspaper <laughs> oh and read it. And then I don't really know exactly where it went from there, um, but I know that he studied Hebrew, um, and I, I know that he he lived in Israel for a while, and I know that he had studied other languages, but he also just picked them up really quickly and just knew some words in many languages. Like I had a lot of different coaches, and I, he taught me how to uh, curse in Russian for my Russian coaches if they really bothered me. <laughs> And uh, there was a time where I just, uh, I, I can't remember what the word was, but I just, I, I think I said the equivalent of shit in Russian to my coaches, and they <laughs> were they very it. startled. Um, <laughs> and then I also had a coach who was Brazilian and spoke Portuguese, and my dad taught me how to say a whole bunch of phrases to just pull out and say to him, and he really, like, <laughs> he was so startled, and then he went over to my dad after practice and was like, you've taught her that? <laughs> but it was it was funny. He appreciated it. Yeah, I bet um, they secretly thought it was cute even when you swore. Yeah, and honestly, like, nobody else knew what I was saying, so he thought it was, he just thought it was funny, and then... Yeah, you weren't would, poisoning the other kids with your Russian curses. <laughs> yeah, or my Portuguese uh, phrases. I think uh-huh. I... I think he taught, I can't really remember what they were, but I know that they were intense, and it was kind of like my dad having a little bit of a, a joke with my coaches, but um, he would he would talk to them a little bit in, you know, their languages, which was really cool, I think, for, for everybody, but yeah, he was just very, very talented with languages and could kind of have a sense of what something meant, even when it was not in one of the languages that he was most familiar with. He just was really great at being able to I guess take a word and kind of like understand what its root is and have at least a sense of what it meant because of the languages that he did know wow do you yeah. want to hear what my dad Full has circle. to say about polyglots I do I really do okay I'm just gonna read what he said he said they really piss off people like me who have spent <laughs> 10 plus years quote unquote learning Spanish from classes various books Duolingo apps etc and still can't say, I want a beer and a pizza Friday night. He said, I can write it down and I can understand it on paper, but speaking and listening, understanding conversation is what fluent means. But polyglots and polyglot scientists, yes, they must exist, say that there is no language gene. Polyglots are just normal people who have found the right learning techniques and passions to become fluent in multiple languages. Interesting. 
So there's like aptitude, I'm sure, though. I don't know. I, if there's no gene, I still feel like some people are better at it, at picking stuff up than others. Totally. I mean, I know my sister is much better with language than I am, and I kind of thought she got that from my dad, but I don't know. Maybe it's not a genetic get, but like a way of understanding that she got from him. Yeah, we got to take my dad's facts at face value. <laughs> <laughs> But I haven't tried Duolingo, so I can't really speak to uh, speak to what that would be like. I want to try it, though. It's really fun. I, I, yeah. The thing is, I don't know how effective it is. Um, Got you. But they're certainly good at making it fun. I will say, like, the one time I went to Brazil, um, I did not know any Portuguese and, like, did not have time to prep. I started doing Duolingo on the plane. Oh, and wow. I, was, I was like doing Duolingo just in various moments each day and all like like they make it really fun like a game but it wasn't like I could pull any of it out except <laughs> one time I could Becky because I was there for yeah like, I was there for like 10 days 12 days and I I learned how to say congratulations which I have since forgotten <laughs> That's fair. I yeah. And we language is one of those things. And... No, go ahead. Language is one of those. Things. Language is one of those things that if you're not using it, it just slips away. Which is why yeah. it was remarkable how my dad just didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we were there for Carmen's like. It was an international book festival, so we were there for oh, that. Oh, cool! And there were Carmen fans like around. And yes. Someone had stopped Carmen after an event, and she was talking to her via some kind of translator. Um, mm. And it was like, we weren't in the event. We had left the event. We were in a side alley, and like someone was speaking to Carmen, and then Carmen was getting a translation. And she turned to me, and she was like, this woman published a book, too, her first book. And... I was able to say congratulations in Portuguese. Yes, that's and they, amazing. They very sweetly were like, "Yay!" <laughs> we were like, "Good <laughs> job, you know Portuguese." And I was like, "Fuck no, I don't." But but it was like a very proud moment. <laughs> totally, yes, to be able to pull out the right word at the right moment like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe but I, gotta I mean, that was like get on you know, that. That was nothing. I don't. I again, long term wise, I don't know if it's effective. Yeah. See, that's, I feel like that's the thing with language. Like if you're, there have been times where I've been able to get around with other languages and communicate, but like, I couldn't even tell you where to start now. It's really hard when you're not in that, you know, and if you're not using it regularly, I, it's really amazing that people are able to still use it. <laughs> well, we're, we're doing other things. We're doing our best. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> And, uh, and I, those I will say, polyglots. I do admire my dad for sticking with the Spanish. Yeah. Um, if you, listeners, would like to share something you learned this week, either while researching a project or just living your life, email me at researchholepodcast at gmail.com. I may read it in a future episode. So, Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking boats with me. Definitely. Thanks for letting me talk boats. I had so much fun. So if people want to hear your music or just want to learn more about you, where can they find you online? 
Yeah, so you can check out RebeccaJOfficial.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, Rebecca underscore J with two Ys. Nice. Rebecca J. J. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Thanks for joining me. And next time you'll be back, right? Because we're going to talk. Yes. I want to hear about your research hole. (laughs) Dive right in there. So now I'm going to do the outro. Um, I'll be fine. You just heard the very first episode of the podcast research hole. Yay. I'm Val Howlett. Our music is by Joey Howlett. Goodbye.